It's Baseball HQ Radio, the Tuesday edition. We'll talk with USA Today's senior fantasy editor Steve Gardner next on Baseball HQ Radio. Pitches a high fly ball to right deep. Going back is Tarasco to the warning track. To the wall, he's under it now. And it's taken away from him by a fan. And they're going to call it a home run. I can't believe it. Richie Garcia is calling it a home run. And Tarasco is out to argue. A terrible call by Richie Garcia. It's all time. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 30th, one day ahead of the Major League Trading Deadline. It's show number 31 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to USA Today's senior fantasy editor Steve Gardner, we'll have commentaries from the experts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It'll be another big show. Thanks for joining us here for the Tuesday edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Jonathan Papelbon thinks the Phillies need to make big changes. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, Phillies closer Jonathan Papelbon told reporters on the weekend that the team needs to make sweeping changes from top to bottom, in his words. I definitely didn't come here for this, Papelbon told MLB.com. If I'm going to have to put up with this year after year, then no, I don't want to be here. Why would you? Why would anybody? Indeed. And here's one for you. Papelbon says the model for the changes that are needed is the Boston Red Sox. Of course... Part of the big changes the Sox made to rebuild their club included not re-signing a certain overpriced closer who signed as a free agent in, yes, Philadelphia. The Sox are in the thick of a playoff race, while the Phillies stand an excellent chance of being double-digit games below 500 by the end of the season. Now it seems highly possible that the Phillies will follow the Red Sox example, and Papelbon's name is at the top of the list when it comes to trade rumors in Philly. No trade rumors with the great team here at Baseball HQ Radio. A little later on, we'll have Rob Gordon in our regular minor league minute, looking at Royals right-handed pitcher Kyle Zimmer. And in Master Notes, HQ analyst Phil Hertz will talk about embracing the crazy. And leading off, our feature interview with USA Today senior fantasy editor Steve Gardner, talking about trades and all-stars who like using advanced stats, Buy low, sell highs, and more. Steve, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks very much, Patrick. Always a pleasure to chat a little fantasy baseball with you. Well, right back at you, Steve, but I bet you're spending a lot of time these days talking fantasy football. Uh, yeah, actually, it's um, it's getting really revved up, and, you know, we got to got to do a little juggling at, uh, at USA Today Sports, but um, I, I don't mind it, you know. It keeps, keeps me busy, keeps me on my toes. And do you guys cover fantasy hockey? We we need some help in that area. So you know, if uh, if you have some expertise you want to lend, um, I'm certainly willing to uh, to get you on the on the site if you'd like to be. Okay, that Crosby kid. I think he's pretty good. All right, duly noted. <laughs> All right, we'll be ready for next year. You know, I actually got into the whole fantasy sports realm up here in Canada, where I'm from. Uh, when I was uh, in college, we started uh, um, hockey pools. They were very simple things, just total scoring points, and you had a straight draft. And 
and fantasy hockey is really getting interesting because you're starting to see more metrics. You're starting to see more leagues that are playing rotisserie style with uh, uh, separate goals and assists, power play performance, uh, uh, shorthanded goals. I know even of leagues that have uh, penalty minutes as a positive category, so you need to stock up on your goons. I, I like that, and uh, I've played some fantasy hockey before, and uh, I, that, that's my strategy. You know, Load up on those penalty minutes and, uh, and dominate that category. It's a lot more fun that way. Yes, and uh, I've actually played in a pool that had penalty minutes as a positive category, and all the other ones were negative. So the more goals and assists and good things that your team did, the worse off you were. So you really wanted to have the worst pylons in the sport. Yeah, that's. Um, I was, was talking around the office the other day about um, if if you could set up a fantasy baseball league and get the worst, you know, try to get the worst possible team, you know, and and make sure that you had all regulars and and all of that, but to get the worst possible team. So, you know, B.J. Upton would be your number one pick, you know, that kind of thing. It would be a little little deviation from the norm, but might be interesting. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, who would have thought that Cole Hamels, when I drafted him, would probably find a spot on a roster in a league like that? Uh, Steve, how are you doing in your leagues? Well, um, I'm, I'm in a lot of them, so uh, I'll, I'll try and be brief for you. The Labor, AL, and NL are, are my babies that uh, we run from, from USA Today Sports, and not doing so well in either one of those, uh, scuffling down at the bottom. Doing better, though, in mixed labor and uh, the FSTA mixed league um, in the hunt in both of those leagues. But, you know, I, my number one pick in both of those is uh, a guy we may talk a little bit about or refer a little bit to uh, later on in the program. Um, I, I had Ryan Braun in both of those, and that's uh, my standing may, may start to take a tumble here before too long. Um, KFFL mixed league, a uh, few points out of first. That's that's one I usually do pretty well in. And the one that I'm really the most interested in in uh, managing the rest of the season is my NL Tout Wars team. Made several trades in that league, um, stocked up on pitching uh, because my hitting was really good to start the year. Fifth out of 12 there, but that is going to be a really interesting race. So I think of, of all the leagues, the uh, NL Tout Wars is going to be the most fun to try and see if I can pull something out at the end. Steve, you mentioned you play in a lot of leagues, and uh, there's some tough competition in all of them. A few years ago at First Pitch Arizona, one of the guests who was affiliated with a major league franchise front office uh, accused those of us in the crowd of not really having the real major league experience because we have so many teams and that we can focus all our attention on the ones that are doing well and ignore the ones that aren't, whereas if you're the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland Athletics is the only team you get to run. How do you do? Do you still try to focus on all your teams, or do you follow the natural inclination to be more attentive to the ones that have a chance? Well, I think it, it depends on how much you have invested, and not just in terms of money, but in terms of prestige or or whatever else. Um, and keeper league too. The, those keeper league teams are the ones that you really have to continue to pay attention in because there are always opportunities to pick guys up off the waiver wire late in the season. You know, the, 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 like Junior Lake comes up you know, from the minor leagues, and all of a sudden, wow, you know, is, is he for real? Is he somebody that you can actually use next year and, and build your franchise on? You know, so you've got to pay attention to those kinds of guys. But I, th- I feel like if I'm invited to an experts league and it's a, a single-season league, I need to get – uh, the most out of that, and I owe it to everybody else in the uh, in the league to try and compete as best I can. So, you know, it's one of those things where you just try and make time, and obviously 
you'll maybe work a little bit harder in the leagues that you're uh, close to competing in. You make a few more trades maybe. But, um, but otherwise, the golden rule, just don't tank. Make sure that you're aware of everything that's going on and, um, and you give it your best in every league. Now, Steve, we're headed into the trade deadline. Of course, a lot of players going to be moved probably at 3.59 p.m. on Wednesday. But for now, we've had three trades that we can talk about. The first one, maybe the biggest one, Alfonso Soriano goes back to the Yankees where it all began for him. Is this enough for the Yankees? What do you make of this deal? Well, uh, they had to do something. And to me, this tells me that... uh, the A-Rod situation is not going to be resolved uh, in A-Rod's favor, and he will not play the rest of this season um, because Soriano is is not a great defender. He's going to have to be the DH, and if A-Rod were coming back, that would be his spot because the injury would certainly not, uh, I wouldn't think, allow him to play third base on a regular basis. So the Yankees realized they needed some uh, pop and Soriano will provide that. And for fantasy owners, you're probably not going to see uh, a better home run hitter come across at the trade deadline from the NL. So uh, he's a guy that uh, a lot of fantasy owners should be jumping on or should have jumped on. I know in uh, in AL Labor, I bid almost all of my fab budget. I had $72 and, and got Soriano. Uh, my team needed him because we're down toward the bottom of the standings. But, um, but, yeah, I think at this point you can't really wait and hope that somebody is going to come across on Wednesday at the trade deadline um, that's going to be any better than Soriano. So jump in now. Well, I did jump in as you did, but I got outbid. I was second-high guy in my uh, American League-only home league, bid everything but uh, the last few pennies to stay in front of the guy in third, and and I got outbid by the guy who had the most. Now I'm wondering about Alfonso Soriano going from Wrigley Field, which is – Homer neutral to slightly favorable for right-handed hitters. Uh, he goes to Yankee Stadium, maybe not so much for right-handed hitters. That's a big yard. Yeah, it is, but, I mean, it's nothing that he hasn't. Uh, I mean, I think the uh, dimensions are, are pretty close to similar to the old Yankee Stadium when he played there in the past. Um, so I think he ought to know at least some of the ins and outs. And uh, there there are a few of pretty decent hitters' parks in the American League, you know, in the AL East. Yep. going to Fenway and uh, and places like that. So uh, it shouldn't be too bad. I mean, uh, still, he's going to be fences. He's not going to be hitting for average. So uh, I, I think at least he gives Robinson Cano some support in that Yankees offense, which uh, he's pretty much out on a limb all by his own had the Yankees not done something. Any chance he steals a few bags to add some value for fantasy purposes? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it seems like those days have passed, although he did he was running a little bit uh, earlier in the season. Um, chances are the Yankees, though, they play that, you know, they, they play the, uh, the home run, play for the big inning kind of baseball. So I, I would not expect a whole lot of steals. But then again, you know, uh, the, the 10 bags that he has this year is his highest since 2008. The other big trade uh, so far, the uh, Texas Rangers, who were in the market for uh, starting pitching, got maybe the best available guy, one of the best available guys in Matt Garza, also from the Cubs, as they go into full-on sell mode. Uh, How does Matt Garza look in another homer-friendly environment? Yeah, he does, but, you know, he's pitched in the American League before. He's been very good lately over his his past several starts, so I I think Garza can, can limit some of that damage by playing in a, uh, a home run friendly park. Um, he does, he does 
pitch. Uh, he's more of a ground ball pitcher than he is a fly ball pitcher, so that will definitely help in Texas as the uh, the weather heats up over the uh, dog days of summer. And it, it looks like to me that that Garza is a guy. You know, he's being put in a situation where he's got a pretty decent bullpen, a solid closer in Joe Nathan. Um, they're at the back of the bullpen, so they're not going to blow as many as many leads as maybe the uh, Cubs bullpen would. So I think Garza, in terms of places that he could have landed, it's a pretty good spot for him, and, and talent uh, overall wins out over everything, and Gar- Garza certainly has that. Well, Steve, you did mention uh, Joe Nathan, the stories that have been making the rounds the last couple of days at usatoday.com and elsewhere. Uh, say that uh, perhaps Joe Nathan could be on the block because the Texas Rangers are worried that they might lose Nelson Cruz to this biogenesis business. Their lineup was already a little anemic, and they s- apparently said they would entertain an offer uh, for a proven hitter. They would give up on Joe Nathan and, and go bullpen by committee or something down the road. Do you believe it? Not really, um, because who are you going to get? I mean, we're talking about Alfonso Soriano possibly being the best hitter to cross the uh, the trade deadline the, or cross the leagues at the trade deadline. I don't know that any other American League teams would be willing to give up a key hitter for Joe Nathan. Um, and plus, Joe Nathan's 38 years old. You know, how much does he have left in the tank? Um, so I don't see the Rangers finding a good fit for him. And that's probably to their benefit anyway, uh, because to leave Tanner Shepherds, who's been good this year, and Joaquim Soria as the guys at the back of your bullpen, I think is is asking for a lot of trouble. And those blown leads, you know, at the end of games can be devastating. So uh, I think the Rangers, with their offensive shortcomings uh, still, despite those, I think they're much better off just hanging on to Joe Nathan. And staying in the bullpen, a more minor deal, the Houston Astros trade Jose Veras to the Detroit Tigers. Tigers needed a, a little bit of bullpen help, but what do you make of this deal? I, I think the one thing is is it gives uh, Joaquin Benoit a little bit of breathing room because Jim Leland doesn't like to use him back-to-back, and certainly not three days in a row. So it gives them somebody who has had some success closing with the Astros to kind of be that co-closer. I still think Benoit will get the majority of the save opportunities there in Detroit, but it does give them a stronger bullpen, and that has been an area that Detroit has uh, has not been very successful in, in holding some of those leads late. So the depth is, is important for the Tigers as they move toward the postseason. I think the uh, the interesting thing is what happens to the Astros because they don't have a proven closer. Um, Wesley Wright has, has closed a little bit but hasn't been terribly effective. I think the guy that fantasy owners will want to start picking up and, and going after and looking into is Jose Cisnero, who's um, you know he's 24, has, has a pretty decent strikeout-to-innings-pitch uh, uh, ratio, um, right around one strikeout per inning, so that's good. Doesn't walk too many guys, and he's put up better numbers this season, I think, than, uh, than Wesley Wright has. Look for him to possibly take over and, and be the choice to close games for the Astros now with Vera's gone. All those many Astros wins. Yes, exactly. That, yeah, that, that's the one caveat is uh, that the Astros are, in fact, the worst team in Major League Baseball. So the save opportunities may be few and far between. Although I, I remember reading research somewhere that said that poor teams actually make better bets for closers because they win so many games narrowly. The, uh, the top teams tend to win a lot of 10-2 and 7-1 type games. That is true. That is true. There are, there are always saves out there, no matter uh, 
no matter how good the team or how bad the team is. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Steve Gardner, Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. Now, Steve, the uh, USA Today Sports just uh, in the last couple of days has had some really interesting coverage of the Alex Rodriguez situation. And uh, Bob Nightingale's column recently looked at the uh, spat, I guess we can call it, or the disagreement between uh, Rodriguez and the Yankees. And oddly enough, it's uh, kind of the reverse of the usual in that he wants to play and they don't want him to. What do you think is going on there and how does it affect fantasy baseball? Well, I think for sure it's the fact that the Yankees have an inflated payroll. Alex Rodriguez has an inflated contract. And the Yankees would love to be able to get out from under at least some of that. And whether it's declaring him uh, unfit to play or incapable of, of physically performing, um, they're trying, or, or just delaying the fact that we have this biogenesis scandal, the cloud hanging over A-Rod, and the fact that he could get suspended. And if a player is suspended, then the team is not responsible for his contract over the length of the time that he's suspended. As we see Ryan Braun with his 65-game suspension losing three-plus million dollars, the Brewers pocket all of that, and I think the Yankees see an opportunity. You know, we're, we're used to the Yankees being the Yankees and not worrying about money, but I, I think this is a huge uh, a quote-unquote opportunity for them. If A-Rod should get suspended, then all of a sudden they'll have a lot more money to maybe go out and make some deals that they might not otherwise be able to make at the trade deadline. I mean, the Yankees are hanging in there in, uh, in the playoff chase, even without Derek Jeter without Alex Rodriguez, without Mark Teixeira, um, which is you know a credit to them and a credit to Brian Cashman. But I, I think this is one of those situations where the Yankees would, would love to have Alex Rodriguez not play another game for them. And uh, whether he's really injured or not, um, I think it's to the Yankees' advantage if they can keep him from playing. Uh, the, the, the problem is, though, is that other teams – are going to call him on it. And I think that's that's what the next step in all of this will be is other teams will say, hey, you know, he's already been on the DL. He's already had his rehab stint. You know, if he doesn't have a new injury, then you need to activate him or, you know, do whatever. I mean, you've got – they don't want the Yankees to be able to play with extra players, so to speak. And, and I think that's where the next step in all of this will come if we don't get – news of of another suspension which you know could come while people are listening to this podcast for all we know yeah it starts to sound like a fantasy league where you complain that guys aren't activating their dl players in time but but what's odd about it is that presumably the yankees are either going to try to reach out to their insurance company to say hey uh rodriguez can't play so he has to be on the dl and we want and he's he's going to have to not play ever again so we want to claim on the insurance and or we want to uh to uh uh have some kind of uh at least get a portion of it back the problem is that they stand up and say he can't play anymore and exhibit a for the insurance company is alex rodriguez standing up and saying yeah i can i can go play tomorrow if you want which really seems to be a, a, a deliberate attempt by him to undermine the team and they're complaining that this um this second opinion that he went and got from a doctor in the New York, New Jersey area uh, contravenes the collective bargaining agreement, which says he has to give them advance notice that he intends to do that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a nasty situation, and you know, uh, on a Rod side of things, I can see why he wants to play, and I mean that's 
that's what players do. And if he feels like he's healthy enough to play, then, uh, you know, A-Rod is such a, a master at pulling public relations blunders. That, that's true. Uh, it's not surprising that, well, I want to get my doctor out there to say that I can play, uh, ends up kind of backfiring on him a little bit. It is a sad and messy situation, that is for sure. This is Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Steve Gardner from USA Today and usatoday.com. And Steve, you had a column not long ago when you got to talk to some players at the All-Star Game, and you said that while many players are sticking with the old see-the-ball-hit-the-ball to explain their performance, other players are willing to go a little deeper about their important statistics, including sabermetrics and advanced stats. This was really interesting. Which players surprised you in this way? Well, I, I, I wanted to get to uh, to talk to Chris Davis and find out. I mean, he's been one of the big stories in baseball this season and uh, with his great power season. Um, and I wanted to find out what you know, what his approach to hitting and, and how he's been able to take the, the quantum leap that he has. Um, and one of the things that he mentioned was that he wants to make sure that he's swinging at balls inside the strike zone and being patient and not feeling like one of the interesting quotes that, that I think uh, came out of all of that was that um, he said before he felt like when he got down two strikes that he had no chance to hit a home run or, or do anything, that he was, he was handicapped in, in that respect because he just wasn't able to hit with two strikes because he would swing at just about anything. Well, he's grown more patient. He's gotten the counts more in his favor. And one of the, the stats that he talked about was swinging at pitches outside the zone. And sure enough, looking at his stats and his advanced metrics, you can see that his history of swinging at balls out the, outside the strike zone was a lot higher than it has been this season. And so he's being able to, you know, whether he's consciously looking at you know, going to, to the web and, and finding out what his O-swing percentage is, um, is is not necessarily the point, but the fact that he is actually trying to do things to reduce that number, that percentage, um, I, I found that very interesting. And it explains the other thing, too, is looking at Baseball HQ, his hard-hit ball percentage. I mean, his, his home run to fly ball rate is, is up this season. No question about that. That's why he has so many of them. But on HQ, looking at the stats of hard hit ball percentages, his hard hit ball percentages have jumped considerably. So that tells me he's making better contact. And so, yeah, if you're making better contact, you're swinging at better pitches, and you're hitting them harder, you're going to have more home runs. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, those hard hit ball percentages uh, could be a goldmine for fantasy players. I think in the next few years, until everybody figures it out, I guess. But the uh, you know the idea that here you have a guy who's capable of hitting a ball hard, and all of a sudden the light goes on and he starts only swinging at balls that he knows he can hit hard. We can't really be that surprised that that he's doing so well. A couple of the players you talk to also seem to be aware, Steve, that when they're going well, they're hitting the ball the opposite way more effectively. And is this something that we fantasy players need to pick up on, as players who seem to be developing that skill? Well, the guy that, that I talked to that mentioned that was Jason Kipnis. And, uh, you know, he struggled really, really badly, hit 200 in April, and then all of a sudden has, has turned things around, seemingly. Um, that's one of the things that he said. You know, I, I want to make sure that I stay back, and if the ball is away, I hit to the opposite field and not try and pull things, because once I do that, I'm rolling over to the second baseman a lot of times or striking out. This is one of those, I, I, I don't know if we can use it or, or we've yet found a way to use this in a predictive fashion, but it does go to show 
how you need to have a combination of stats and numbers with scouting, and you can't really have one without the other. And um, Kipnis's, you know, things that he notices on on video, um, you know, those sort of things come into play. Um, one of the things that he also said was, you know, again, swinging outside the zone. That was a, a common theme in, in a couple of guys that I talked to. Uh, so he wants to make sure that his walk to strikeout rate is is two to one. I think you know two strikeouts to one walk. If it gets beyond that, then he knows he's doing something wrong. Uh, so to answer your question, I don't know that we found a way to take that kind of information and, and maybe take it to the next level predictively. But we can see when a guy's going well and he's hitting balls the other way, he's getting a lot more hits. You know that's. That's a good approach for uh, for a lot of guys to have. Miguel Cabrera is another guy talked about that too. You know the whole the whole discussion made me think of um, the various weight loss programs that always tell people who are trying to stay on a diet to to weigh yourself regularly, and in that way you can sort of adjust your behavior because you're getting a constant reminder or reinforcement that what you're doing is working or if you're you know falling off the wagon a little bit it's not working and I wonder if these players are just able to look at these numbers whether they go into any great detail or not and say I'm trying not to swing at balls out of the zone and my my out of the zone swing number is really helping me understand that I am doing that or that I need to really bear down this week and, and get back on that yeah I think um, players I kind of feel like are more open to looking at some of the advanced metrics than maybe they've been in previous years. The Pirates surprise all-star Jeff Locke is having a great year that nobody saw coming, and he had an interesting perspective on his success in your column. Uh, Skeptics are pointing to his unusually low hit rate, or BABIP as some people call it. It's under 25%, or 250 batting average on balls in play. And these skeptics are looking at that number, and they're saying he's obviously being lucky. But he looks at that number and he says, I'm pitching efficiently. What do you think of his argument? Well, I think it, there's a little truth in both. And you know, as we've seen, pitchers rarely are able to sustain um, an average on balls and play that low for an entire season. So there's a bit of luck there. But the fact that Pittsburgh is an excellent hitters or a pitcher's park, and, and it's, if you look at the park, park factor metrics, it's at the bottom in terms of promoting scoring. It's last in uh, home runs um, and, and encouraging home runs. So the fact that he's got an excellent pitcher's park to work in, I think, gives him a little bit of a, a extra leeway to be able to pitch to contact a little bit more. The other thing that he mentioned to me as well is that you know you've got guys like Starling Marte and Andrew McCutcheon out in the outfield. Uh, Clint Barmas, who was starting for most of the year at shortstop, is a very good defensive player. All of that, that great defense, and the Pirates, I think, are third in, uh, in baseball and defensive runs saved. So with that great defense behind you, um, and the Pirates also shift more than any other team in all of Major League Baseball. So with all of those metrics behind him, I think, Patrick, that the batting average on balls in play that we've uh, – said, you know, normalizes and has been kind of static at around 300 or 30 percent hit rate for all players. I think with the excellent um, advances that we're seeing made in defensive positioning and playing defense as well, that that's going to go down. Um, And the Pirates are taking advantage of it probably better than any other team in the major league. So 
in that respect, I think Jeff Locke has got uh, a real good point there, that he can allow hitters to put the ball in play. He doesn't have to strike out everybody, and he can still get good results. And he does have a low strikeout rate uh, to go with uh, these excellent results, which does seem to fly in the face of it. But here again, I think this is something that fantasy owners are going to learn to look at, which is find a if you're looking for pitchers, find pitchers who are well-suited to their parks and whose management has focused on building solid defensive clubs behind them. This this looks like it could be a way to find the next Jeff Locke, which is really what you want to do, is, is identify those guys before they start doing well and, and hopefully before they fall apart because it is all luck and we just don't recognize it for some reason. Exactly, and Tampa Bay is another team that yep. um, works really well on positioning. And, you know, if you've got a Tampa Bay Rays starter um, – you're probably enjoying the fruits of their labor this season. Well, except for David Price, who I did draft, but lately he's been really good. And Matt Moore of the Rays, speaking of them, I thought this was interesting as well. When his wins total came up, he downplayed it. And you said that's music to many sabermetricians' ears, which is correct because we tend to regard wins as being a very poor statistical judge of, of how to how a pitcher is doing. Do you get the sense that more young pitchers like Matt Moore are wising up to how useless wins are as a measure of their success? Um, I, I don't know if it's gone completely. You know, the pendulum is, is swinging uh, that far yet, but I, I do think pitchers go out there, and, and to by and large, most of them go out there they want to do their jobs, and if they get the W, great. Um, but I think team-winning percentages, you see those in USA Today and other places where it lists the probable pitchers and it has their record, but it also has the team record in their starts. And I think that um, that maybe some of them are starting to look at that. And as, as Moore told me, you know, I want to be able to keep my team in the game. So if I can pitch seven innings, that's make, keeping the bullpen fresh and, you know, if I'm getting a win and only going five innings, then I'm not doing my job. Because, uh, and the, the interesting quote that came out of that was uh, something along the lines of winning games is great, but if you throw five innings and give up a run and leave 12 outs for the bullpen, somebody else should get a W, too. So uh, I think that was, that was a pretty interesting quote there. And, uh, and it's, it's comforting to see some of the guys kind of uh, understanding what uh, a lot of sabermetricians are saying about the, the stat, the, the win. And I wonder if, if the real change will come when it, uh, as it becomes less and less important in arbitration hearings. Uh, I know they still talk about it, but the, as the advanced stats become more uh, important in determining how a guy gets paid, then the guys are going to start looking at those kind of stats rather than wins because sooner or later we're going to get a set of arbitrators who realize that wins is a very poor measure and they're going to look at other things. And at that point, I wonder if players are really going to understand how important wins aren't. Yes, uh, when it when it starts affecting the pocketbook uh, and the contracts, you, you'll definitely you'll definitely get a buy-in. Steve, you also do a regular chat at usatoday.com, inviting people to uh, uh, chat in and talk to you about various player and roster decisions. I think Ron Chandler also does that every Wednesday at usatoday.com. And you were asked in one of your chats recently about. It was one of those rate these pitchers. I have a choice of these nine guys. And and I was intrigued by two comments that you made. And the first one was 
you noted that Chad Godden of the Giants has been doing very well lately. Uh, I think he had four PQS fives and seven starts. He's 248-105 as a starter, and he had to leave a game that he was winning against Arizona. And then you said, if you're looking to ride a hot hand, he's your man. How much do you believe in the hot hand idea as a way to make roster decisions? Well, I think as as a lot of uh, decision-making processes go, it goes back to the something that I read in the baseball forecaster, and, and that is that it, pitchers who are on a streak of dominant starts um, tend to have a dominant one in their next start, and that they get on those types of roles, and so, yeah, uh, you, I think you need to ride the hot hand where it makes sense, and you look at, um, you know, in terms of picking guys up off the waiver wire, for instance, you can't really wait until the third really good start in a row to decide, okay, now it's time I can, uh, I can believe in this and I'll pick him up off the waiver wire because somebody else has already gone in and picked him up. Um, I, I think it's important also to know what the parameters are in your league. Uh, if you've got a league where it's, it's a mixed league with, with daily roster moves or, or something like that where the churn is, is pretty regular, uh, uh, then you need to go and, and jump on those guys quickly. And um, if you're streaming pitchers, looking at who's been good in their last few starts or who's got the best matchup, um, I think you need to make some of those decisions and you need to make them quickly. And that's one of the factors that you can use to help you find a guy that, that can help your team for that particular start or that particular week. Well, how many starts does it take to establish that you're on a roll? Maybe, maybe two or three. Um, I can't remember exactly what the the data said in in the uh, baseball forecaster piece, but yeah, I, I think if you get say three PQS dominant starts in a row, um, then the chances are you're going to have a you're going to have a good one the next time. Uh, then maybe you know that's that's what you look for. And if if you can't wait that long, maybe you have to kind of predict things and and see what the uh, the situations are surrounding the next start and, and go from there. But, um, but yeah, I think if pitchers, when they're feeling good, when they're having success, then they're much more able to repeat that, the things that are helping them succeed than if they're all over the map, good start, bad start, good start, bad start. And, and, of course, we have to say that there are other factors, as you mentioned, uh, where you are in your league. You might not want to take a chance on Felix Dubront or somebody like that if you're, if you're leading your league. But if you're sixth and you need some fast wins and maybe some good innings, why wouldn't you kind of thing? And, of course, also individual pitcher skills. Sometimes it just looks lucky and you have to trust your gut or trust the idea. You, you also said in the chat you're baffled by Ian Kennedy. Join the club. Do you think there's any chance he gets this season turned around to be any use to a fantasy owner? You know, I in looking at his stats, and I went back after the chat even, and you know his his average on balls in play is pretty close, maybe a twenty point difference from two thousand eleven when he had his real big season. His ground ball to fly ball ratio, pretty much virtually the same. Um, strikeout uh, rate, pretty much virtually the same. Um, it's just that the ERA is almost double, and and the WHIP is. You know, from 1.09 in 2011 to 1.40 this year. Um, I don't know. It, it, it seems like this is the reverse, you know, kind of the Chad Godin, is that Ian Kennedy is in, you know, some sort of a rut where he can't figure out what's going on. And um, 
the way that he's been pitching. I mean, the Diamondbacks have a pretty good defense behind him, and yet he hasn't been able to translate that into uh, any success. Um, it's hard, you know, he may go out and do a Tim Lincecum and throw a no-hitter his next time out, but right now I don't see any signs that he can be depended on. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Steve Gardner from USA Today and usatoday.com, the senior fantasy editor there. And, Steve, the last few weeks I've been asking our featured guests to give us some picks to buy low and sell high, a hitter and pitcher in each league, in each category. So let's uh, maybe start with some buy lows. If you were in the American League looking for a hitter to buy low, who might you be looking at? One of the guys that I like, actually, is is Michael Morse. Um He's not yet activated off the DL, or, or but he's expected to be soon. Here's a guy who's, who's a pretty proven power hitter. Um, he spent uh, about a month, a little bit more than a month, with a quad injury um, on the DL. But he's close to returning. And I think one of the things, too, is that Seattle has been shopping Raul Abanez. He's one of the names that has been uh, bandied about as a possible trade candidate for uh, some of the contenders. If, if Abanez gets dealt, then... Morse's spot in the lineup is is pretty secure. So he would be one of the guys I think his value is is certainly low. In fact, I had to cut him in one of my other leagues just because of a, a roster crunch and we don't have unlimited DL spots and somebody snapped him up right away. Uh, I might like to have that back uh, here in the next few weeks, but I think he's one of the guys in the AL that, that I would look at if, uh, if I were looking to buy somebody whose value is really low. Absolutely an established power guy, that's for sure. How about in the National League, a hitter you could buy low? You know, one of the guys I noticed that um, is not getting as much love, and, and, and he probably should, and, and it, I don't know that you could pick him up, but I wouldn't mind trading for Jonathan Lucroy in some of my leagues because, you know, at catcher, we see a lot of injuries. We see the, the long season take its toll. He's been really, really uh, re- hitting really well over the past month, uh, over 300 average, eight homers, um, 18 RBIs over that span. And believe it or not, he's the number five ranked catcher overall in in all of fantasy. And I don't think he gets the kind of respect that, uh, that he deserves in terms of uh, being one of the top catchers, partially because maybe he missed a, a big chunk of last year, but um, he's been getting the job done this season for sure. And, of course, people will be sour on the Brewers with Braun being out of the lineup as well. That might depress his price a little more. On the pitching side, how about in the American League, a pitcher you think you could buy low? Interesting. You may not be able to buy Scott Casimir low after his last outing. Eight innings, shutout ball, one hit. Um, but his last seven starts, ERA of 1.60. Uh, he's striking out guys uh, at least. Uh, he's got a 3-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. And opponents are, are have a 441 OPS against him over those last seven starts. Wow! So, you know, I, I kind of had Casimir uh, as one of those fringe pitchers at the beginning of the year. He's getting it done now, and um, where the, we may not be seeing the Scott Casimir uh, of his heyday with Tampa Bay, he's doing pretty well there in Cleveland, and um, he may still be on uh, waiver wires in many leagues. Yeah, especially in mixed leagues, I expect uh, Scott Casimir because of the injury history and the poor performance. But here's one of those situations, Steve, that I kind of like when I'm looking at players, which is a guy who was very a very highly ranked prospect, struggled, had injuries, uh, couldn't find his way for a while, and then all of a sudden when he gets a few years older, it all seems to come together. Scott Casimir's a really good choice. You got as good a choice in the National League for a buy-low pitcher? 
Um, hope so. Uh, one of the guys I like is, is Alex Wood of the Braves. And um, with Tim Hudson's injury, I, I think this opens up the Braves' rotation, whereas it seemed like uh, maybe just a week ago before Paul Mulholland went on the DL that they were going to be so jam-packed with possible starting pitchers that they may even need to go to a six-man rotation. That may not be the case um, now that uh, Tim Hudson is down and out for the season. Would a polished 22-year-old, you know, they just called him up. He's he's risen quickly through the minor leagues. Um, he's got a consistently good strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's always been right about a strikeout per inning, and, and he doesn't walk a lot of guys. Um, I think he's one of the guys you might want to keep an eye on. I know Brandon Beachy is coming back for the Braves from uh, from Tommy John surgery and, and should be activated possibly by next week with Hudson out. Um, but Beachy's rehab work and work in the minors has not been uh, really that outstanding. And, and I think Wood is, is a guy that the Braves could continue to rely on down the stretch. And because he's worked as a reliever for most of the season – um, he's still got plenty of innings to throw. Todd Zola also liked Alex Wood when I spoke with Todd uh, last Friday on this very same topic. Uh, so your uh, bylaws are Michael Morris of Seattle, Jonathan Lucroy of Milwaukee, Scott Casimir of Cleveland, and Alex Wood of the Braves. Let's go to some sell highs. Uh, an American League hitter that you think you'd like to sell high? I think uh, Colby Rasmus is one of the guys. And we had low expectations for him, I think, uh, across the board coming into the season. But He's done fairly well in, in uh, surpassing those low expectations, and then in the month of June or month of July, has a, a 3.53 average and a 9.64 OPS. But part of that is fueled by a huge, huge number on uh, batting average on balls in play. 4.49. I went and looked that up. That's that's ridiculous. And he's still popping up, you know, hitting a lot of infield pop-ups, which makes that uh, average on balls in play even more. Ridiculous. I, I think he's definitely in for uh, a come down and uh, would not want to uh, rely too much on him going forward. And in the National League, who's a hitter that you'd like to sell high? I, I tell you, Patrick, I, I, I think the, uh, the hype over Yasiel Puig is, uh, has gotten to be so high and, and such a fever pitch. Um, I think you can get an awful lot for him right now. I mean, his average is still in the upper 300s, but he's come back down to earth in the past month, hitting under 300 for for the month of July, just two homers in 18 games, although he did hit one the other day. Um, and he's striking out 30% of the time. I, I think the league is starting to kind of get a book on what Yasiel Puig will swing at and you know, not everything. giving him stuff on the inner half of the plate, trying to pitch him away, giving him breaking pitches. And I think that's one of the things that uh, to, to watch out for. He's had a great season so far, and, and the hype machine, I think that's one of the things, if you're, if you're looking to sell high, look to a player where the hype machine has kind of gotten out of control. And I think in this case, um, it's, it's Puig that uh, is one of the guys that that fits pretty, uh, pretty solidly. And remember, coming into the year, one of the one of the knocks on him, even though he was having that great spring training, was that he he never drew a walk. And then he went down to the minors briefly and started drawing all kinds of walks. And now back in the major leagues, not so much. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, major league pitchers are smart. And once you know, once they get uh, at least some scouting reports on you and and get some video, they uh, they figure things out pretty quickly. And now we'll just have to see what kind of adjustments Puig can make. It's a game of adjustments, that's for sure. Uh, how about an American League pitcher you think you could sell high? 
Um, again, we were talking about wins, and Chris Tillman is uh, is 12 and three in an American League All Star. And one of the things that was interesting at the All Star game, Jim Leland was talking about um, the guys that he uh, put on his roster, and he mentioned, you know, Chris Tillman. He's got 11 wins. I don't know what else he has to do to be an All Star. <laughs> and um, you know, for those of us who uh, who kind of uh, downplay wins, it, it was uh, pretty interesting considering that Chris Tillman's uh, ERA is up close to four, and uh, if you look at uh, fielding independent pitching, his ERA, uh, that, you know, his FIP is 5.03 right now. So a lot of people, and in the second half of the season especially, look to chase wins in Roto Leagues, and Chris Tillman, you know, has got that big 12 next to his name. Um, I, I think you could probably get uh, get a decent pitcher for, for Chris Tillman or, or a decent return for him because people see that win total and assume, you know, the Orioles are a pretty good team and they're going to stay in the race. And he might win, you know, seven or eight games down the stretch. But the if he continues to pitch the way that he has and uh, his peripherals don't change and his FIP stands above, uh, above five, um, he's not going to help you in all the other categories. Yeah, FIP has a – there's a similar metric at BaseballHQ.com. We call it expected ERA. It's pretty much the same thing, a different, slight differences in the formula. But, yeah, Chris Tillman's expected ERA is, is closer to five than it is to three. And finally, how about a National League sell-high pitcher? You know, i I, I got a couple for you. Um, one, if you're looking for maximum value, uh, Matt Harvey is one of the guys I would look to sell. I mean, he's the anti-Strasburg, uh, if we can, can say that, because the Mets don't have a whole lot invested in this season. So they can afford to shut him down. He's pitched 137 innings in his 20 starts. I looked a, a couple weeks ago in an, a column for Sports Weekly about some of these young pitchers and what their projected innings totals are. And, and if you go by the formula of last year's innings plus 20%, Harvey's got um, maybe 10 more starts left for this season. And for those who are competing, um, especially in head-to-head leagues where – you know, if Harvey is shut down for the season, you lose him for the important part of the season, your playoffs. Um, and then in rotisserie leagues as well, it, it's it's better to try and go ahead and sell high on him and get somebody that can carry you through to the end of the season rather than just riding Harvey for however long he's going to be pitching and then try and pick somebody up off the waiver wire. Um, another guy, too, is Julius Chassin. I don't know how much you're going to be able to sell high on a Rockies pitcher, but he's had a pretty good season so far, and uh, I saw the other day his uh, home run to fly ball rate for a pitcher who uh, starts in Coors Field, three percent. Um, and you know, most of the time it's it's around ten percent. This is a historically low number, and uh, even though Chassin is has a ZRA below three, I believe uh, you have to think that's going to skyrocket when some of those balls start going out of the park. All right, Steve, uh, you want Colby Rasmus, Yaziel Puig, Chris Tillman, and Matt Harvey or Julius Chassin as your sell highs. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I mentioned your fantasy chat every Monday at usatoday.com. You also write regularly, of course, for the paper and the site. As we wrap up our segment, remind our listeners how they can get more from Steve Gardner. Sure. Just uh, check out online at fantasybaseball.usatoday.com. Um, you can check me out in, in Sports Weekly on newsstands every Wednesday. Uh, there's my column in there. And if you want to check me out on Twitter, I'm pretty active there, and uh, we'll even answer a question or two every now and then. Um, you can get me on Twitter at Steve A. Gardner. Steve, thanks again. All right. Thank you, Patrick. 
Steve Gardner is the senior fantasy editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. Keep listening because the Minor League Minute and Master Notes are coming up here on Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. Sign up by August 31st and we'll knock the price down to just 299 bucks. It's like getting Miguel Cabrera in the seventh round. First Pitch Arizona. Come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. And we'll see you there. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Tuesday edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular Baseball HQ commentaries. We have HQ analyst Phil Hertz on deck with Master Notes and leading off the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com Minor League expert Rob Gordon telling us about Royals right-handed pitching prospect Kyle Zimmer. A little over a month ago, Royals fans were asking what was wrong with their stud pitching prospect Kyle Zimmer. Zimmer, the fifth overall pick in the 2012 draft, had a great pro debut last year, going 3-3 with a 2.04 ERA, but he really struggled in the first half of 2013. On June 7th, the 21-year-old Zimmer was 0-6 with an ugly 6.32 ERA. Since then, Kyle Zimmer has really turned his season around and done so in dramatic fashion. Over his last seven starts, Zimmer is 5-2 with a 2.30 ERA, and in his last four starts, he struck out 37 while walking just two batters, earning himself a promotion to AA Northwest Arkansas. Long-term, scouts insist that nothing has changed with Zimmer's overall stuff. He still has a plus-mid-90s fastball, a really good slider, a good curve, and a changeup that shows improvement, but now the results are matching the stuff. Those in long-term keeper leagues should consider targeting Kyle Zimmer before everyone figures out that he's back on the fast track to the majors, and he has the stuff to be a top-of-the-rotation stud. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Corden. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues all season long. Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garropy, Chris Maloney, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. BaseballHQ.com's call-up reports this week have looked at Baltimore outfielder L.J. Hose, Philadelphia outfielder Steve Susdorf, and many more. And the minor league watch list highlights less heralded prospects who have a path to the majors, looking at such prospects as Colorado right-hander Christian Bergman, the Mets infielder Wilmer Flores, Cubs right-hander Kyle Hendricks, and many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's Master Notes with HQ analyst Phil Hertz talking this week about embracing the crazy. I spent the All-Star break trashing my pitching staff in the NL-only Tout Wars League. During the course of four days, I divested myself of Tom Kohler, Wandy Rodriguez, Jeff Samarja, Derek Cole, Carlos Lunaueva, and Taylor Jordan, as well as Todd Helton and Luis Valbuena. My acquisitions were Drew Storen, Brad Ziegler, Ronald Belisario, 
and Luis Avilon, as well as Anthony Rendon, Jose Constanza, and 36 Fab. Based on that flurry of moves, readers could reasonably scratch your heads and wonder why you should ever pay attention in the future to anything I would ever suggest, assuming, of course, you've ever paid any attention to my advice. Allow me to try to explain. As many of you know, Tout Wars is one of the preeminent fantasy expert leagues. Tout NL has very deep player pool penetration with 12 teams rostering 23 active players, 4 reserve players, and an unlimited number of disabled players. It also does away with the fifth outfielder and replaces him with a swingman who can be either a hitter regardless of position or a tenth pitcher. Like all expert leagues except for the XFL, it is a redraft league. When things paused for the All-Star break, I was in third place, being held back by pitching deficiencies centered on wins and strikeouts. My pitching problems began with the auction. I came out of the March draft, light on starting pitching, I had Wandy Rodriguez, Villanueva, John Neese, Nathan Eovaldi, Julio Terran, and speculative picks Garrett Cole and Zach Wheeler. Eovaldi was placed in the DL before opening day. Villanueva lost his rotation spot in May, and both Neese and Rodriguez are now on the DL and have spent weeks there. So even though I was able to acquire Jeff Samarja and eventually activate Cole and Wheeler, by June 1 I was last in wins and next to last in strikeouts. I spent the next six weeks taking advantage of the swingman rule to keep 10 pitchers, including seven starters, active in hopes of making up some ground. That six-week experience netted me one point in wins and cost me four points in ERA and whip, not to mention losing ground in the hidden counting categories due to having one less active bat. I actually had fallen further behind in the field in strikeouts despite the extra active pitcher. Just before the All-Star break, I assessed all the categories and decided that I should give up the effort to gain points and strikeouts and wins, and instead concentrate on maintaining and hopefully improving my standing in ERA and WHIP. As I already was in a three-way race for first and saves, my goal was to get a few more saves in my deals, but primarily to obtain a bit of a hitting boost. Unfortunately, my timing was not optimal. Aside from Samarja, most of my starters were fungible commodities, and Samarja's effectiveness had been on the downswing for the last few weeks. And once I started making the deals, it was pretty obvious to the rest of the league what I was trying to accomplish, making it a little harder to drive a good bargain. Nevertheless, I did improve my team a little in the areas I was seeking. By acquiring Ziegler and Storer, and I'm hopefully acquiring the handful of extra saves that will secure that category. Rendon is an upgrade over Villanueva, perhaps a big upgrade if the Cubs decide to try younger guys. Helton was not even starting for me, and the 36 fab dollars may assist in obtaining some key pieces down the stretch. I also removed two temptations, acquiring more mediocre starters and then starting them after one good outing. How many times have you decided to start a Tom Kohler-type pitcher after a couple of good outings because of a favorable matchup and then paid the price when the guy can't keep it up? I've insulated myself from that trap. Is blowing off categories crazy? This is not the first time I've tried this ploy. A year ago, I did virtually the same thing. How did that turn out? A year ago at this time, I was ninth in the NL-only league, and I finished second on the strength of the tactic. Will this work as well? Well, we'll find out in about 10 weeks. But I'm already having second thoughts. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Phil Hertz of BaseballHQ.com. HQ analyst Phil Hertz is a member of the Master Notes rotation at BaseballHQ.com and here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Master Notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. 
Of course, we have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 30th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 31 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank USA Today Senior Fantasy Editor Steve Gardner, our feature guest today. It's always a gas talking with Steve, and I think when we went offline, I convinced him to start covering a Canadian Football League fantasy draft. I can hardly wait. Go Riders. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon, and our Master Notes commentator, HQ analyst Phil Hertz. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com for these features. Matt Cedarholm's Market Pulse column looks at players to buy and avoid in the dog days. Brian Rudd's Divisional Outlook has the National League West, including trade possibilities. Jeremy Deloney looks at overhyped prospects like Delino DeShields Jr. and Joey Gallo. Plus, we have all our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes performance validation, our buyer's guides, other division outlooks, pitcher matchups, and so much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed, at Baseball HQ. And you can feel free to join the almost 160 people who follow me on my personal Twitter account, at Patrick Davitt. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our news and analysis show, League Watch News Reports, Todd Zola, and weekly matchups. And next Tuesday, we'll have another feature edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.